So we're here on All Saints Sunday, and uh, the very traditional reading for All Saints comes out of the uh, letter to the Hebrews, and I'm going to open with that, uh, so I want you to listen for a word from the Lord as I read this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, a long time ago, in our kind of sense, uh, Carlisle Marney wrote about this, and he talked about balcony people, those folks that are you know, up in the balcony up there watching over what we're doing and kind of cheering us on. But when Paul pins these words, uh, he really, he's thinking more of uh, actually running a race, uh, you know, and actually having you know, a physical race. And he's thinking about you know, the crowd that's there kind of along the finishing stretch as you're coming in at the close of this. And they're, they're kind of cheering you on for that last little bit, you know, cheering you and calling your name and urging you forward as you get to the end for that last sprint where you just don't think you can go another step and your lungs are burning and you're not sure you're going to make it. And they're there to kind of lift you up and encourage you and, and have you run forward. And, and those are the folks we come on this day and we remember, we read through that list of names and we, we think about all those folks that are there with us. At the early service, I noticed there were, there were several folks on those names who sang in our choir for a long time and I thought about them. We have John Wynn's Bible up here on the, the altar and, uh, and you know, if you don't know it, this, this wonderful tie uh, actually belonged first to Alan Goldsberry uh, and so uh, every time I wear it, I'm thinking about Alan and uh, the presence of those people who are all around us encouraging us to keep moving forward in faith and, 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 you know, just lifting us up in those moments when it becomes difficult. So those are the folks we come and we honor this morning. As we do that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, what does that look like? When we talk about the resurrection, what, is, what does that look like? What does that seem like? What does it feel like uh, in our minds and in our hearts as we try to get our head around that idea? I want you to pray with me this morning. So Father, we, uh, we come to you today and there is a heaviness in our hearts uh, over the absence of these people we love so much. There's also a joy in knowing that your arms were there to embrace them and welcome them home. And so we ask you to be present with us in that, that mix of emotion this morning uh, to give us your light and your wisdom and your guidance. Uh, come and be present with us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, uh, you know, these uh, resurrection stories actually kind of go all through Scripture. We tend to think really just of the resurrection of Christ, but there's actually some Old Testament resurrection stories where some of the prophets raise up some of the widows. Uh, there's a wonderful story where a guy is, they're getting ready to bury a guy, and these robbers come up, and, and, uh, and so to get away from the robbers, the, the, the crew basically tosses him in the open grate of Elisha, and as soon as he uh, the dead body hits Elisha's bones. It, it comes back to life. Uh, he's restored to life again. Uh, Jesus raises up the son of the, the widow of Nain. Uh, he's got the, the centurion's daughter he raises up. Uh, so there's these other resurrection stories that take place. And one of the more well-known ones is that of La uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus. 
Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, live in the village of Bethany. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, for me at least, it kind of, you know, one of those I think of because, you know, here we are at Bethany. So, uh, and, and in this story, Jesus is with his disciples elsewhere, and word comes to him that Lazarus is sick and dying. And Jesus does just what we all do when we get that kind of message, right? He says, okay, well, let's just sit here and wait for a few more days. Really? I'm sure his disciples are going, really, Jesus, this is what you're going to do? I mean, shouldn't we be going like the Lazarus? You know, I mean, you know, you do heal people. Maybe we ought to be heading over that way. And Jesus, nope, nope, we're going to wait here a few more days. Because Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone would know Lazarus was actually dead. He didn't want them to think that, well, you know, Lazarus got sick and kind of got unconscious and all, but then he recovered. He wanted everybody to be really sure that Lazarus was dead. So he says, we're going to wait here a few more days. And when he thinks it's, it's long enough and he's pretty sure that everybody will know that Lazarus is really dead, then he says, okay, now it's time to go. And they go to the village of Bethany. And as he approached, both Mary and Martha kind of uh, come to him with a certain uh, reproach, I think, as he approaches. So you have uh, Martha saying to Jesus, you know, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is really kind of a nice way of saying, what were you thinking? Where were you? We needed you. And you didn't make it. You weren't here. Uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And she's thinking of the end of time. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Okay, wait a minute. Did she really answer his question? What did he ask her? Uh-huh. So those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She doesn't say, yes, Lord, I believe that, that you are, you know, the resurrection and the life, and everyone who believes in you will never die. That's not what she says, is it? She, she kind of end runs it, doesn't she? I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming in the world. And, and I sometimes wonder if we're not all a little bit like that. You know, this resurrection stuff is kind of hard to get our, our heads around. It's kind of hard to understand. Yes, I believe you're the Son of God. You know, I'm, uh, this thing about resurrection makes me a little uncomfortable. I can't really get my, I can't explain it. I don't know how to make sense of that. A long time ago, uh, uh, one of the theologians of the church said, you know, one of the things that's important for us to understand about the resurrection is we need to know that because when you're going on a trip, it's always a good idea to know where you're going, right? Now, I, I know some of y'all are different about this, but I'm, I'm kind of OCD when I'm going on a trip. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what the roads are and how I'm going to get there. And, and when Cindy and I travel together, sometimes this is challenging uh, because Cindy will go, well, I just travel by landmarks, so I'll know it when I see it. I'm going, what road do I turn on? I don't know the name of the road, what highway to take. I don't know what number it is, but, but I'll know it. I'll know the landmarks when I see it. And this sometimes results in things like, oh, there it is, <laughs> Right? And I'm going, well, babe, you, you got to do better. I mean, you got to get it earlier than that. Or the flip side of that is I go past some, an exit I know I'm supposed to take, and I've been thinking, so I've just missed it. And I'll say, well, why didn't you tell me to take that exit? And she says, well, you know, I thought maybe you were just deciding to take another way. 
you know, so, you know, this kind of thing. That, do y'all do this stuff when y'all drive? I mean, am I the only? Okay, okay, good. So, you know, what I love, I, I loved it when they came out with this navigation stuff, you know, these GPS things. Uh, this is the map from the church out to the HEB camp, by the way. Uh, and so, you know, it all lays it out. And then the little Google lady and Google Maps, I love Google Maps. You know, she tells you things like, you know, in a, in a mile, you're going to take this exit. In a quarter of a mile, you're going to have to turn right. You need to be in this lane to turn. And I was in Houston this week, and oh, thank goodness I had Google Lady with me because, you know, it's like, you know, you've got to get across six lanes of traffic in the next quarter of a mile because there's a turn coming up you need, right? She knows this stuff, and she tells me. It's great. And, and you know, if I don't do what she says, she doesn't yell at me or get upset or anything. Now, I have learned that if you ignore Google Lady long enough, she stops talking to you. She doesn't get mad at you. She just stops talking to you. Well, if you're not going to listen to me, you know, what's the point? You know, right? I mean, but, but, but it's, it's, it's I think Google Maps and these little, navi- this, is, this is one of the greatest boons to marital happiness. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just great. Yeah. So, so you, you, you kind of need to know where you're going. I mean, and people will talk about that. I get questions like that. Well, is it okay if we cremate somebody? Is that going to be all right? Well, what if we put their ashes in different places? You know, how's God going to know where to find them? I'm thinking that's kind of a weird question myself. I mean, you know, I think God's going to know. But, but, but you know, people, we, we want to know, what's that picture like? So, so Paul writes to the church in Corinth. They've been having this debate about the resurrection. Is it real? What does it look like? And all this. And, and he writes to them and he says, uh, you know, he's kind of challenging the people that are preaching that, you know, there's no resurrection. He says, you know, this is, this is the central tenet. This is the big deal. And, and, and if you teach there's no resurrection, you know, then, you know, your faith is, is futile. And in vain. And your hope even for those you love is a waste of time. And then he says, but in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And he says, in fact. And the reason he can say that is there are still people alive at this time who have been there and seen the risen Christ. There are folks who have seen him. They've touched him. They've shared a meal with him. You know, when we kind of think back and think in those kind of times, it's kind of, you know, it's way back there and all that. But for, for Paul, this is current events. There are folks who've actually encountered the physicality of the risen Christ. He says, in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead. And then somebody says, well, you know, if that happened, because this is kind of hard to understand. Oh, uh, you know, okay, so like if, if, if he really has been raised from the dead, you know, well, what does that look like? You know, what, what is he, and Paul says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And then he has to kind of, you know, throw in the fool because he, he is Paul. Uh, and, and he says, what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. There's apparently something happening here. And he goes on and he says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What's raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a physical body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Let's take a stop. If there's a physical body, there's also a spiritual body. Now, he's not saying ghost stuff, okay? This isn't woo, anything like that, right? Because Paul's language here, the Greek that he's using, is clearly a reference to a corpus, a body. Not just some disembodied presence or something. He's talking about a body. They could touch Jesus. He shared a meal with him. He cooked fish for them. 
He was present with them. This wasn't some, you know, disembodied something or another floating around the room. This was Jesus. Now, now, there was also a transformation that took place because he would be there and then he would not be there. He would show up and then he would go away without the doors ever being unlocked. So there's been a transformation that's taken place. But there's still very much a real body present. Paul keeps going. He says, as one of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as one of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the one of dust, we will also bear the image of the one of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the one of dust, the, the frailty, the mortality, the perishability, the falling apartness of it, we shall also bear the image of the one of heaven. Eternal, powerful, whole, forever. And he keeps going. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable puts, body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? So he talks to them about this transformation that, that you can't really understand. You can't really get your head around. But nonetheless, that they had witnessed firsthand. And, and while Paul's trying to explain this to the Corinthians later on, John is going to have a vision of, of how that gets expanded at the end of the ages uh, when the new creation comes. So in Revelation, he shares that vision. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. We need to stop one more time. You know, I, I'm a coast guy. So, you know, when you say the sea, I have all these nice, warm, fuzzy images. You know, I like to go down and be on the seashore, listen to the waves come in. Maybe swim with the sharks a little, you know. Well, maybe not the sharks. But anyway, you know, this one thing, you know, all that, that, that's really good memories for me. The Hebrews were desert wanderers. They lived in the desert. To them, the ocean was mysterious. It was dangerous. It was chaotic. You know, people got in boats and they went out there and then they never came back and you didn't know what happened to them. So when you read that part at the beginning of Genesis where the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, you know, the waters represent that kind of chaotic element of creation that's disorganized and dangerous and, and destructive that God speaks His Word and organizes into this creation. Except in this vision, it, it hasn't quite been fulfilled until this moment. The sea is no more. All of creation is, is finally brought in aligned the way God intended from the very beginning for it to be. And everything is as God desires. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. 
Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. This vision of, of this final kind of attainment of this, you know, one of heaven, where everything is aligned that way, where everything is as it should be, where no longer is there pain and no longer is there perishing and no longer is there brokenness. And everything is God, is as God desired. I love that, that artists have tried to capture this, and there's a lot of wonderful images out there. I like this one, but it's really almost impossible to capture because as he describes it, what you realize when he gives you the measurements of the city, it's the same depth and width and height. So, you know, you can't really get your head around that, and that's kind of the point of it. This is so far beyond our experience that we can't completely understand it. So we get these wonderful images where an artist is trying somehow or another to bring to us the majesty of this vision. Now I'm going to confess to you that when I used to read these when I was younger, you know, a lot of times all these passages about this transformation and everything, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, okay. Because, you know, when you're 20, you think you're going to live forever. And things just, you know, you can go out and push yourself as hard as you want and things recover. And then you get older. And, uh, you kind of start thinking, man, I'm ready, you know. You get up in the morning and things hurt and this is going on and that's not working right. And you're thinking, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ready for things to get prepared. And, and frankly, if you live long enough, you'll probably have the experience of a loved one that you will walk through the dying process with where you will reach the point of saying, okay, God, really, it's time. It's time. I mean, you know, they've been through enough. It's time. It's time for them to be able to be whole and well again. They've had enough. You know, back in the beginning of this year, my stepfather passed away. Now, this is a retired Marine, Master, Marine Corps Master Sergeant. And those of you who, if you've been in the Marines, you know, they don't really retire. You know, they just stop actively working for the Army, I mean, for the Marines. But, you know, they, they, they're still Marines the rest of your life, even though they're retired. And, and you know, big strapping guy, you know. And, and these last couple of years, you know, we'd watched him slowly get weaker and weaker and, and be able to do less and less. This is a man that when we first uh, kind of welcomed him into our family and got to know him and they were ranching out in Goliad County uh, and the cattle would be ready to be worked, he would get down in the middle of the herd and start pushing the cows around. Now, you know, cows are a pretty big animal. And he'd get right in the middle of them and he'd start shoving them where he wanted them to go and they'd go. Right? I mean, big, strong, strapping man. And he got to where he, he, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't walk any distance. He couldn't do the things he enjoyed. And a lot of his life he was frustrated and unhappy. And, and, you know, you just find yourself saying, really, God, this is, this is not okay any longer. This is not okay. And it's time, you know, it's time. He, he's born the image of the man of dust, and now it's time for him to bear the image of the one of heaven, to be made whole and strong and healthy again. Surely there's cows in heaven that need to be pushed. <laughs> and you begin to pray that way. And the message of the scripture to us, God says, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Out of love, that's what I'm going to do. 
And Paul reminds us that even in this life, we can kind of catch glimpses of that in, in, in our inner spirit. We can kind of catch glimpses of that uh, when he writes to the Galatians, right? I, through the law, I died of the law, so I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ who lives in me. Uh, we've been, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. God, who's rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I mean, we have this, this foretaste of this in our spirit and our soul when we encounter the presence of God's Holy Spirit bringing that life into us. So Jesus goes to Bethany. And Mary and Martha both say, well, Jesus, if you'd been here, you know, Lazarus would have lived. And, and he kind of questions them, and they're kind of dancing around the question. And, and then he goes to the tomb where Lazarus has been placed, and he, he prays this prayer and says, God, I want, to, I want you to let people see this so that it can bring glory to you and so that they'll believe. And, and then he turns and he faces the tomb, and, and he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And, and the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So I just want you to get this picture. Lazarus comes out. Remember those old mummy movies that used to be out around Halloween time, you know, all wrapped in cloth? That's kind of what Lazarus looked like. He comes out of the tomb. He's all wrapped up in everything. And the crowd that was standing there had the predictable reaction, right? They stepped back and kind of went, whoa. And Jesus said, he's not dead. Unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. So here you are this morning. And you're remembering those people you love that have died. And Jesus says, unbind them and let them go. As they've borne the image of the one of dust, now they bear the image of the one of heaven. All that weakness has become strength. All that perishability has become imperishable. All that mortality has become immortal. All that weakness has become strong and whole and healthy and joyful. Don't hold them in your mind in that place of weakness. You may not be able to understand how God does all this. But in the amazing love of God, in the amazing love of God, they've been recreated in the image of the one of heaven. Imperishable, immortal, glorified, celebrating in the presence of God. Unbind them and let them go. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And uh, you can just, if you want, if your neighbor's comfortable, you can reach out and place a hand on them. Or if not, just extend a hand over them. And we're going to pray this prayer, this blessing that Paul gives us in the third chapter of Ephesians. Words are going to be up on the screens, and I'm going to invite you to pray this with me. You ready? I pray that according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now my brothers and sisters,